1: Race for the Ring, episode 94, Food. The Frenemy with Alexis Connison. You're listening to The Race for the Ring. I am your host, Mindy Barnett. I'm an entrepreneur, motivational author, keynote speaker, television contributor, and a single mom. Since re-entering the dating world after my divorce, I found dating life eye-opening. In the age of Tinder, bumble, and hinge, there seems to be more horror stories and humor. Than happy endings among my friends and social circles. And I want to know why. Each week, we'll chat with a different dating queen or king, socialite or relationship expert, and explore the many facets of dating today, pitfalls to steer clear from, and how to find the finest fish in the sea. Get ready, set, go! Hi, everybody, welcome back to the Race for the Ring. Today, we are going to be talking about a deeper psychological topic of eating disorders why eating disorders on a dating podcast. I'm going to tell you why, because women predominantly women are unfortunately the victims of anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, obesity. And the reason being is because of lack of self-confidence, um, body image pressure, lack of self love. Um, and a lot of, a lot more like obviously inner psycho- psychological issues that we're going to dive into. Um, Um, I also believe and evidence shows that single women specifically are higher in these numbers because they are working on impressing suitors, um, impressing people they may be uh, dating, trying to look their best. And women that are 50 plus, um, which many people wouldn't necessarily think, um, are high in that category as well. I think when people tend to visualize what an anorexic or eating disorder victim looks like. You think of someone in their twenties, which is true. That is typically adolescence is really when this, um, unfortunate circumstance starts. Um, but women that are older also fall prey to, um, you know, the, the pressures of life and, you know, perhaps partners left them or they're getting older and their metabolism changes, um, or their hormonal or any of those things. And so they instantly put themselves on a diet and then the diet just gets out of control. Dieting is typically nine times out of 10, the way eating disorders manifest. So, Today, our guest uh, is essentially a clinician. She's a licensed psychologist and also a certified eating disorder specialist. She practices in New York City, Alexis Connison is her name, and she is the owner of Connison Psychological Services um, and focuses on health at every size. Um, She basically leads uh, predominantly group therapy. She practices specializing in the treatment of binge eating disorder. Also known as BEG and um, the other ailments that I mentioned, anorexia, bulimia, et cetera. Uh, she's also the author of a book called 10 Steps to Free Yourself from the Diet Cycle with Mindful Eating and Radical self acceptance And we talk a little bit about what mindful eating looks like, what exactly that is. There's a lot of information kind of being tossed around on social media right now about intuitive eating. But we talk a lot more about mindful eating and the difference between the two. She also talks about um, another phenomenon that isn't necessarily in, in the DSM 5s. It's not really recognized in an, as an official eating disorder, but the uh, eating disorder where people basically focus on eating super clean, super healthy, super regimented, and why that also is not necessarily a good thing. So this is a really great conversation. You're going to have a lot of great uh, actionable takeaways at the end of it. To, I'm very, very excited to introduce you all to Alexis Connison. Hi, Alexis. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. Sure. So let's talk a little bit about how you selected this track in in uh, you know psychology and your in your uh, group therapy practice. And obviously, you've done a variety of writing on the subject matter. So let's talk a little bit about your own backstory, because um, what brought you into this lane is sort of from some experiences that you personally had, and how you've evolved, and obviously used your own in you know story and experiences and so forth and so on to help other people. Sure. Well,
0: psychology is something that I've always been interested in because people just mystify me. So I think anything that would give me a little bit of insight into how other people work, I found really interesting and I was drawn to that. Um, But I was specifically drawn to the fields of eating disorders and disordered eating. Well, and initially I was really drawn to it from this place of wanting to lose weight, wanting to change my body, um, kind of on myself, having spent so much of my life on this cycle of being on a diet, off a diet, you know, being good and then bad and feeling out of control and trying to be in control. And um, it was such a cycle that I was caught in myself that, of course, like when we can't figure it out for ourselves, we say, I'm going to teach everyone else how to do this. And that's yeah. kind of how I ended up where I did in my career. And thankfully, fairly early on, I was exposed to um, the Health at Every Size movement, which really is an alternative to... Um, To the weight based norms in our culture that tell us that we have to be smaller in order to be more valuable, healthier, have everything good in life. So um, relatively early on, I was able to make a shift and pivot away from um, kind of the diet mindset, both personally and professionally and embrace a more weight inclusive um, perspective.
1: So, let's go backwards just a little bit when you were talking about the diets and stuff that you were on. I I choose share some of that. Um, I've, you know, thankfully I, I I think you referenced it as thin, I guess not jealousy, but there was like a terminology that you used for for being thin, envy or something like that. I've always been on the thinner side is what I'm trying to say. But Yeah, yeah, thin privilege. What is that? People that have like a faster metabolism. And is that what you mean by that?
0: Well, when I say thin privilege, I mean that people who aren't facing the barriers of weight discrimination that people in larger bodies are facing. Yeah. Um, And you don't really have to meet you know, the ideal body in our culture, but, you know, people who are in larger bodies have a set of obstacles that they face throughout mm-hmm. life, really at every turn that people in smaller bodies um, don't. So I gotcha. that, you know, that's been privilege.
1: Now that makes, that makes perfect sense. So for me, I was probably one of your thin privilege people, I guess, technically, because I just genetically just wasn't overweight. But I was in modeling when I was little. And I know that my size was always like they were measuring my waist. And like, it was like, you know, I was getting weight a lot. Um, I remember that a lot. And then when I went to college, I was in, uh, I was cheerleader. And when you're a cheerleader, I was, I'm small, like I'm a short, and when I say small, I mean like petite, like I'm I'm about like five really five, two and a half. I always stretch it and say I'm <laughs> five three. But I was a flyer. And by flyer, I mean I was one of the girls that they got thrown because I was on the shorter side. And when you fly, you have to be a certain weight, right? So I was always getting weighed when I was in cheerleading and it had to remain a certain weight. So I was not necessarily dieting, but it was like brought to my attention that I needed to stay, uh, you know, on this, this below a certain number. And then when I went off to I studied abroad in Israel, and the Israeli diet is predominantly like healthy Mediterranean-style food, a lot of fish and vegetables and stuff. So I lost a lot of weight when I was there. I came back probably under... Not probably. I was easily like 15 to 20 pounds underweight. And my clothes were sort of hanging off of me. And I looked like model skinny, like really thin. I was a zero and everybody's like, you look so good. You look so good. And that just pushed me over the edge in college. I was like, I can't gain weight. I was like measuring my food, like my senior year, like I took laxatives, like it was terrible. And then I got scared because, um, which I know isn't even a precursor anymore. But back then, like, if you were no longer menstruating, you would be considered an anorexic. So I was still menstruating, but I remember the doctor telling me, like, you're not going too soon because I was that skinny. So then I was able to sort of always... It stuck with me, though. Like, I, I gained weight back, but I, you know, I've always sort of just like, every time I feel like my jeans are getting tight, like I just, it's hard, right? Like, so women struggle with that. And something that although men are, can be anorexic and there's more men now that are anorexic with body types and working out and looking at like, in you know, social media and stuff like that, which is a whole other show. But I feel like our listeners are predominantly female. They're obviously all in the dating realm, um, you know, single wanting to look good for their potential partners. So, you know, it's very easy to see how that people could fall into that that trap, right. Of, of battling the weight and, you know, this, regardless, I guess, of what size you, you technically are, I think something everybody struggles with. Would you agree with that? And can you weigh in a little bit about why our society, um, has put that kind of pressure? I mean, this is not new. This has been going on since like, uh, I don't know like the the old age, like back in like uh, you know uh, 1800s I think like women were being very self conscious of what they would eat and how they fit they looked and stuff like that right
0: Yeah. So yeah, it's nothing new. Um, although, you know, I think the pressures on women morph and change over time. Um, but yeah, it's, it's super common. Some research suggests that over 90% of women are dissatisfied with their bodies. So when we look at it like that, you know, I think that really drives home to me, the idea, this is a cultural problem. It's not an individual problem with the way that one person feels about, you know, his or her body. It's, a culture that is indoctrinating women to believe that we're not good enough, that our bodies aren't good enough, that we have to be constantly chasing this ideal in order to be valued and acceptable in the world. So, and there's a lot of incentive in our culture promoting those beliefs because it keeps, you know, a huge segment of our population, women, um, it keeps women, preoccupied with the idea of changing our body, not feeling confident, not having, you know, the um, confidence to get up, you know, to the front of the room and have our voices heard and be seen, you know, a lot of us end up kind of hiding and not living as fully as we could because we're so consumed with the idea that we're not okay because we're not thin enough or our body doesn't look the way that our culture tells us it should.
1: What are you seeing in your practice in terms of the different types of issues Is it still like the same basic issues that women are having? It's obviously different people. Certainly. And, you know, scenarios because of what society is today versus even 10 years ago. But are you still seeing the, you know, an, an, a mix of, you know, anorexia, bulimia and let's get into the BED, BED also, because that's obviously the extreme, but it's all related to like stress and not feeling good about yourself and things like that, too. Right. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, I would say that all eating disorders are extreme. So, you know, by definition, they are a form of mental illness and eating disorders are actually the most deadly form of mental illness mm-hmm. um, or one of the most deadly forms um, right up there with, um, you know, substance abuse and opioid abuse. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a very serious mental illness. And it's, you know, it's not just about eating too much or, you know, it's a complex um disease. But a lot of what we work with in our practice is not just people struggling with anorexia or bulimia. We we actually specialize in working with people with binge eating disorder and people with disordered eating. So disordered eating is this big category of people who maybe don't meet all of the diagnostic criteria for an eating disorder like anorexia or bulimia or even binge eating disorder. But this is what I kind of talk about as like the normalized um, disorder Cultural disordered eating, where Mm -hmm. so many people have an unhealthy relationship with food. You know, I think that if we a group of women and said how many people you know really feel completely fine about their eating it's very few people like i definitely don't i do not
1: yeah yeah Yeah. most of us worry
0: about should i eat that should i not eat that we're worried about our body you know how well we eat might impact our body we're you know watching all of the different you know advice on television or in the media and it can be Mm -hmm. super super confusing and um so we see it in my practice, a lot of people who are just struggling with kind of, um, you know, anything from chronic dieting and being, you know, kind of this on the wagon, off the wagon. We see a lot of that. Um, people who are very concerned about, quote unquote, clean eating um, or mm-hmm. more orthorexia type of disorders where, you know, the explicit focus isn't so much on losing weight as much on being healthy. And I think that's a shift that we've seen, um, you know, over the past several years, as there's been more awareness around the harms of the thin ideal and that, you know, in the 90s, when it was just really, you know, 90s, early 2000s, where it was just super explicit, this, you know, very emaciated, Um, body ideal and the celebrities and you know I grew up in the time of like the the, I think they actually called it the heroin chic you know ideal
1: Um, yeah same I think that was my issue (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah. um, the thinner the better back then yeah so I think that
0: there has been some awareness of that 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 has been really harmful and it's but but it's shifted and it just shifted to be now more of this strong is the new skinny and you know healthy is skinny and whatever but like it's really Mm -hmm. Still about being skinny, but just a different way to do it. But as we've seen that we've seen people's concerns around eating shift from, you know, what's going, you know, from kind of the low fat and how can I eat it, you know, a few calories to, you know, is this organic and clean and you know, according to, you know, whatever diet plan you're on.
1: So is that healthy? I want to ask you that, Alexis, because there is so much, especially on social media about being vegan, like, um, you know, just very, very gluten free. I mean, I know some people need to be because they have autoimmune diseases and things like that. But If you're like super clean, is that also sort of like kind of borderline, not borderline personality, but like borderline, um, uh, maybe even a a disorder of some sort because you're so extreme in your effort to remain healthy and clean? Yeah, well, it
0: can be orthorexia, which is an eating disorder where people are preoccupied um, with the idea of like eating very healthy and clean. But I think really we have to look more critically at the entire notion of health because, um, you know, so often health is deduced to you know what we eat and how much we exercise and like that's it. But mm-hmm. it's actually very multifactorial. And most of the things that impact our health are things that are totally outside of our control, things like genetics and um Income level are like the two of the biggest predictors of health, but also health is so individualized. So I think the idea that there's like one way of eating that's going to be quote unquote healthiest for everyone, Mm -hmm. it's missing the fact that like we're, we're all in unique situations. So... You know, some people might choose to be vegan for ethical reasons or um, may choose to eat in a certain style because that's what helps them feel their best and that's what's going to be healthiest for them. And for some mm-hmm. people, you know, it might look like eating a lot of one thing and not so much of something else. And then for someone else it might be the exact opposite, but it's really only you that could tell that in your own body. But I do know that what's not healthy is feeling is stress and feeling stressed about what we're eating and obsessing, you know, feeling obsessive about food, hating yourself, incessant self-criticism, that all takes a major toll on our well-being. Um, And it's essentially living in a state of chronic stress.
1: Mm -hmm. I have a quick question. So, Mm -hmm. orthorexia, I've never heard of that term before. What exactly is that? So, orthorexia. Oh, orthorexia. Okay, sorry. Okay. Yeah. Orthorexia is um,
0: like a, an obsession with eating healthy. So rather than a focus on, um, you know, weight and concerns around weight and shape, there's more of a concern around health.
1: So okay. this is what is we that see new? a lot of- Is that a new diagnosis? So it's not an official
0: diagnosis in the DSM as of now, but it's certainly um, an area that's talked about quite a bit in the field and um, kind of informally recognized amongst most eating disorder uh, professionals.
1: Okay. Got it. So interesting. All right. Um, before we get into some healthy options um, and tying into what you write about in your amazing books, really quickly, I want to touch on the fact that um, a model, a well-known model, of, you know, who is a plus size model, Tess Holiday, recently went on the record sharing that she too suffers from anorexia, uh, which is... I guess something like somewhat of an eyebrow raising situation because I guess looking at her, you wouldn't necessarily think she would be anorexic, but she did indeed suffer from that because of her obsessions with food and like trying to like just sort of like watch what she was eating on a day-to-day basis, like on a, re- you know, on an unhealthy manner. Um, So I just wanted to, to talk a little bit about the fact that you don't have to be extremely skinny based on what the DSM says, you know, underweight and things like that to fall prey to this unfortunate disorder. In addition to the fact, the underlying factor for so many women that suffer from this is they are their obsession with being perfect. They're like, right, we want to be perfect. Um, and then not just in what we see on the scale, but in life and, you know, whether it be in our jobs, the way we present it to our families, the way they're, the way we present to our friends and our hobbies and continually to strive and strive. I suffer from that a little bit. In fact, I'm writing about it for an advice column mm-hmm. for a whole other, whole other gig. But I, I just think that it's important to point that out. Can you speak a little bit to that?
0: yeah well,
1: to start off speaking about people
0: in larger bodies struggling with anorexia, I think we really need to shift our stereotypes of who we think looks like they have an eating disorder and start to understand we really can't tell who's struggling with an eating disorder based on mm-hmm. what they look like and actually people and you know people who are um, in larger bodies are at increased risk of struggling with eating disorders like anorexia because of the increased pressure to diet and to try to lose weight and uh, we know that dieting is one of the most predictive factors for developing an eating disorder. So when, you know, from a very young age, people in larger bodies are often told by medical professionals, by their parents, by you know trusted caretakers in their life that they have to lose weight and they have to go on a diet. And that does put them at higher risk for eating disorders long term. So you know I think that we have this idea of like eating disorders being, you know, young young women, cisgendered women, um, Um, very thin women, white women. And that's not the majority of people who are struggling with an eating disorder. And in fact, most people with an eating disorder um, do are not in a BMI category of being underweight. That's a very small, very small minority of people with eating disorders. And yet that's mm-hmm. where almost all of the focus is And in terms of the research and the uh, financial resources devoted to eating disorders. It, it really is dedicated to this very, very small part of the population of people struggling with eating disorders. And a lot of people are left out. Mm-hmm.
1: And it also... Um people that are women 50 and older are like the majority too. Is that right? Who suffer from this?
0: I'm not sure on the statistics if they're the majority, but they're certainly, you know...
1: um, High number. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, let's segue now into some healthier, uh, I guess, uh, you know, option. I don't want to call it an option, but like a healthier way to live, so to speak. First of all, you say mindful eating is, is the way to go. Can you explain exactly what that is and the difference between that and what intuitive dieting or not dieting, sorry, intuitive eating is because there's a lot, um, you know, on social media, I hear a lot about intuitive di- Eating, I'm not certain exactly what that looks like. I also am not certain what mindful eating looks like. So um, I'm sure if I'm confused, then I'm, there's a plethora of <laughs> listeners that are interested to hear more as well. So um, yeah. can you just break down the difference first, and then we'll dive in a little bit more to what mindful eating looks like.
0: Sure and I will also say that this is a really common question and I have a free video on my website that goes into this in more in depth the antidietplan.com I have um I think it's like a 10 minute video or something you can watch if you okay. want to learn more. Awesome. I will right,
1: we'll link well, that in the show notes. Okay, great. Great. But I'll give some
0: highlights here and you know mindful eating and intuitive eating are are similar they're both Commonly used in eating disorder recovery. Although I will say that, unfortunately, mindful eating has gotten taken up a lot by the diet industry and misconstrued, I think, away from the true essence of what it is. So, um, both mindful eating and intuitive eating are non restrictive ways of eating. So, they're not diet plans, they're not going to tell you what to eat. They're ways to help you reconnect with your body and allow your body to guide your eating. Um, the main difference I see between intuitive eating and mindful eating is that intuitive eating um, refers in my mind, you know, I think of it specifically as a methodology that was laid out in the intuitive eating book, which was written by Evelyn Tripoli and Elise Resch. And um, it's now in, I think, like the fourth edition or something like that. And that's like the guidebook to intuitive eating. They lay out 10 principles in that book. And that's kind of the structure of intuitive eating is around the specific plan that that they have laid out mindful eating in context in in contrast and i think one of the reasons that it's gotten um kind of co-opted by the diet industry a little bit easier is that there's not it's not necessarily associated with like one person or a book or anything like that it's based on mindfulness meditation um and it uses mindfulness meditation to reconnect with our body and listen to our body's internal signals, things like hunger, fullness, you know, what we making choices around food, taste, being present with our eating um, and our emotions and our body,
1: and things like okay. that. So, Do you meditate before each meal to then determine what you want to eat? Like, how does that work?
0: Well, no, it would be really be about, um, it uses a meditation practice. So you don't necessarily have to meditate before you eat, but, um, med- mindfulness meditation is something. And for people who aren't familiar with the idea of mindfulness, it's about being fully present and aware in the current moment. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I recommend people can start off with just like three minutes of meditation, five minutes of meditation a day. It doesn't have to be this very time consuming, you know, over, mm-hmm. it can sometimes feel overwhelming to start to develop the meditation practice. But just taking a few minutes, you know, in the morning, it doesn't have to be tied to like when you're eating or anything like that. But that's the formal meditation practice is what starts to build the um, connections in our brain that helps us become more present and aware. And then the idea is to use that presence and awareness that you're building to bring that to our eating situation. So instead of, you know, just kind of eating, many of us tend to eat like on autopilot or just kind of pick something and eating, eat it without paying much attention. It's more of a process of thinking about, well, what, you know, am I hungry? What do I want to eat? What seems appealing? Um, How am I feeling right now? And then, you know, actually like tasting the food and, and enjoying it and staying connected while you're eating.
1: What if you're being mindful? I'm not trying to be funny, but like, this is how I would be like, okay, I'm, in my, I'm interested in having pizza. And then I want to get a shamrock shake at McDonald's because I love them. I mean, that's honestly, um, it's like lunchtime as we're recording this. Mm. And if I were to eat anything I wanted right now, that would be it. So but that's not healthy. And that's not good for me. So what would how do you handle that? Those urges and things like that with this type of mindfulness?
0: So a lot of those concerns come from kind of this fear that if we listen to our body, we're going to be totally out of control. But mm-hmm. actually, our body, you know, can guide us in terms of, again, health, I think, is very individualized and unique. And I, I think there's nothing wrong with going to have, you know, a, I forgot what you said, but like, piece of pizza, pizza, and, a sh- rock pizza, shape. pizza <laughs> and a shamrock <laughs> <and a> shape. <laughs> <laughs> like there, there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. I think that we villainize certain foods and that's why we tend to feel so out of control. Like for a lot of people, we say, oh, I love pizza, but like I'm not supposed to eat that because that's like a quote unquote like bad food. Right. Uh, what tends to happen is that we, you know, maybe are in the mood for pizza and we'll have a salad instead because we think that's what we're supposed to have. And then maybe later on end up, you know, at some point having pizza and feel like out of more out of control when we eat it. You know, maybe you don't just have the one slice or two slices that you would have had initially, but you have the whole pizza because it's like, well, screw it. Now I've, you know, ruined my diet for the day or whatever. Mm-hmm. So uh, what I really think is healthy, you know, much more I'm much more concerned about having like a healthy mindset around food than the specifics around what we're eating, and we do tend to regulate. So, for many people who have spent a lot of their lives, you know, in that mindset of I can't have you know pizza and the shake because that's unhealthy. Um, Sometimes there is this period of feeling like, okay, if I allow myself to have it, I'm going to have it all the time. But if you actually allow yourself to have it and to have as much as you want, your body does tend to regulate and comes to a point of like, okay, now I get it. I can have that pizza whenever I want it. And I don't actually want it all the time because I I feel sick after having it like five
1: days in a row. That's a really good point. I'm going to give you an antidote from something recently. So I... I hate to admit this to you, but I was on a diet <laughs> because I, I gained about like 10 pounds and that's a lot of weight for me. It's so like I said, I'm like not fully 5'3". So I've lost the weight, but I'm still like being careful with my carbs. I just literally like went cold turkey and cut all the carbs out of my diet and the, the pounds dropped. And I also exercised a little bit more than I was and all of that. Fine. So I was like, I'm not eating any carbs because if i eat even one then i'm just going to keep eating them like it's like okay i cheated or whatever you know so there's there you go but then now that i've lost the weight i'm like trying to bring them back into my life again a little bit with like moderation so um i'm in new york like you most days and i the new york pizza as you well know pizza is uh, clearly like one of my favorite foods. <laughs> I, I ate two slices of pizza and I was like, I really didn't want to do it, but I was like, I was craving it. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to eat it. And I'm I'm not going to eat it for a while. And you're so right. Because I didn't even finish both because I was so full from, I guess I'm not used to having the carbs like that. And then I'm like, I'm, Okay, I'm good. Uh, I don't even want it anymore. Now. Now I do. But like back this is a couple of weeks ago, and I was fine. That's a really good point. You know, to like, indulge a little bit and then you know, know that you can and then you won't feel like you need to constantly keep indulging because it's always going to be there for the take it right in your mind. Is that yeah, kind I- of the, the thought?
0: Yeah, and I think it's about like removing some of the emotional, you know, balance around food too. Like I don't think of it as an indulgence necessarily. I think that there's different food choices that we can make and that our body naturally craves different things. Like sometimes we're in the mood for pizza, sometimes we're in the mood for salads, sometimes we're in the mood for a piece of fish or chicken or whatever. You know, like mm-hmm. I think that we naturally have that diversity. And I think that when we can stop Thinking about foods as you know a slurge or a cheat day or an indulgence or a guilty pleasure or whatever, and just think of food as food and try to tune into like what do we actually want. And I will say that when we're in that more restrictive mentality, it's very hard to, um, or when we're in like a diet mentality, it's very hard to tell what we want because we're guided by this external set of rules of what we think we should and shouldn't be having. Like for example, mm-hmm. what you just shared about I shouldn't have carbs because you know I need to lose weight. So we're we're not really in those moments you're not really thinking of what am i in the mood to eat right now you're thinking about these are the foods that i should have these are the foods that are allowed these are the foods that are off limits and then of course the foods that are off limits tend to become much more appealing and enticing because anytime we're not allowed to have anything that's like all we want so it becomes right. this whole emotional conflict that we're caught in rather than actually listening to our body which might be like okay yes i'm in the mood for pizza right now i have you know a slice or two slices of pizza and then move on with your life it becomes this
1: whole other thing that's so interesting. So as we wrap up, would you say like, um, are your patients that you're counseling, are they gravitating to this mindset? Is it hard for them to kind of um, grasp this notion of being mindful when they're making choice once they've recovered, obviously not right away. I'm sure it's very difficult initially when they're in your therapy sessions and things like that. But I'm just curious to know how, how people are, how easily are people able to adapt to this way of thinking.
0: I think everybody's different. And, you know, if we think about how long we've been struggling with our relationship with food, um, you know, a change doesn't happen overnight. And I think anything that promises you a quick fix, I would run in the opposite direction because um, mm-hmm. it's hard. It's hard work. And I do recommend if you if you can you know, access it, working with a licensed therapist, mental health care, professional diet, you know, anti-diet dietitian, try to find mm-hmm. people who are working from a health at every size anti-diet perspective to. Guide you. There's also a lot of great, you know, courses and books and stuff like that out there. Um, myself included. You have a book, yeah.
1: okay, On cue, talk mm-hmm. talk to us a little bit about that because our our listeners might want to pick that up as like a first step towards this, you know, new way of thinking about food. Yeah. So
0: I wrote my book, The Diet-Free Revolution, 10 Steps to Free Yourself from the Di- Diet Cycle with Mindful Eating and Radical Self-Acceptance um, that was published last year. And it was really came out of a sense of you know, wanting to share some of the work and like the fundamental key tools that I use with my clients and bring it to people who maybe can't always access therapy or can't always, you know, it's not a replacement for therapy, of course, but I know that, you know, therapy can be very expensive. And unfortunately we have, a, um, you know, we're entering really a mental health care crisis where we don't have enough therapists Mm -hmm. to work with all the people Mm -hmm. who need help. Um, So I wanted to just kind of give people some tools that they could pick up in in like a book format um, to help free them from that really like tremendous, tormenting cycle of being trapped in in dieting. So the book talks about how to develop a well, first of all, like talks a little bit about why diets don't work. And you know, I think that one of the things that has been really tricky about diet culture is that we tend to blame ourselves. So we tend to feel like I can't stick to this plan or you know, I had the pizza when I was supposed to have the salad, what's wrong with me? Why don't I have more willpower? Why aren't I stronger? Mm-hmm. We blame ourselves. And actually the whole paradigm is doomed to fail. And research supports that, so I go through some of the science behind why diet why diets don't work, um, some mm-hmm. information about weight and health, and how we can really try to if we do want to improve our health, how we can do that by meeting our our bodies where they are now with a sense of compassion instead of being you know harsh and critical towards ourselves, and then mm-hmm. going through mindful eating and how to reestablish that connection to your body to guide you in terms of you. Know what to eat to how to recognize when you're hungry when you've had enough to eat, um, making those choices around food. How do you know when you're in the mood for the salad versus the pizza? Or um, and then we also get into how to manage um, you know and how to under, better understand some of the emotional drivers for eating, like those times where we recognize we're not hungry but we still want to eat. How to how to manage some of that? And one of my favorite chapters is the last one where we get a chance to explore really like now that. You know once you've kind of opened up more space in your mind to um think about things other than what are you gonna eat or not eat all the time, what are the things that are most important in your life, like how to lead a life in accordance with your deepest values?
1: So that's great, yeah, it's so interesting how it all really has nothing to do with food, but it does if you make mm-hmm. sense, you know at the end of the day. um all right, great, and your book is everywhere books are sold on Amazon, et cetera. Yeah, it's available wherever books are sold. It's out in paperback, um, ebook and audio. Okay, fantastic. All right. And um, where can people find you, Alexis? We're going to add all of this into the show notes, but just if you would just share your website and stuff like that too, or Instagram. Are you on Instagram, obviously? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you can
0: find me on Instagram at the anti-diet plan. Um, on, I'm on all social media at the anti-diet plan, but definitely most active on Instagram. And then if you want information about the my, my online mindful eating program, that's at the anti If you are in the New York area and interested in therapy, and actually, we can practice in a bunch of different states now. Um, the information about my practice is com, And um, information about me is at com.
1: Okay, fantastic. All right. Well, thank you for being a part of the Race for the Ring. You brought a lot of enlightenment and really good information to our listeners today. So I appreciate you. Well, thank, you. thank you. Thanks you. for having me. Yeah.